So we're in part four, and the first three that Pastor Sam did, we're just going to do a quick review just so that you can can remember what it is that he said. And if you haven't been part of the series, whether you're watching online or you're here in the house, you need to go back and need to watch it. In part one, Pastor Sam was talking about the fear of the Lord. And he, uh, he quoted uh, Proverbs 1.7, which is the fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Matter of fact, that's the verse that underscores the entire series that he is in right now. Uh, And he defines fear of the Lord as this. This is a great definition. Fear of the Lord is my reverent awe of God's holiness and love, whereby I surrender every area of my life to him. My reverent awe of God's holiness and love, whereby whereby I surrender every area of my life to him. You need to write that down somewhere. Remember that definition. That's what it means to fear the Lord. And that's the starting point for wisdom. Then in the second week, he went on to talk about pride. And he quoted a verse relative to that that relates to pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. We don't want to be people who are filled with pride. He even talked a little bit about some of the passages that relate to uh, Lucifer himself and how it was pride that drove him. Pride is the root of every sin in our lives, he said. Pride puts you in the wrong place and God in the wrong place. No, when God is in the right place, you're in the right place, then you can receive wisdom. But listen, if you are not fearing the Lord and if you are filled with pride, you are not gonna receive wisdom. Not fearing the Lord and pride are blockers to receiving divine wisdom. But if you have those two things in place, then you'll be able to receive divine wisdom. And then in part three, he actually talked about wisdom And he quoted a really good verse from Proverbs 4, 7, getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. And whatever else you do, develop good judgment. And he talked about four kinds of people that Proverbs talks about. And we're going to quickly review those because they relate to what it is we're going to focus on this morning. First, he talked about the wise person. And that's the person that we want to be. You want to be a wise person. Doesn't mean you're perfect. And wisdom is not intellect. Wisdom is not just knowing stuff. Wisdom is skill at living life. Wisdom is leaning into God's wisdom in relationship with him. When you have that kind of a relationship, then you can walk in divine wisdom. Then you really can live life with skill because there are a lot of people and some of them have PhD behind their name who know a lot of things and they're good in that area, but they don't live life with much skill. We wanna live life with skill. So that's the wise person that Proverbs talks about. Then there's another kind of person that Proverbs talks about quite a bit, and that is the simple person. And the simple person is not someone who is dumb. The simple person is a person who is naive. They are simple because they don't have experience yet. Remember when you wanted to first drive? Back in my day, we would get our license when we were 16 years old, so we all waited for that day. Some of y'all remember you did driver's training at school, uh, in the summertime, I did it in our, our school parking lot and so forth. And then you got your permit and you had to drive with your parents, good Lord. And it seemed like it took forever for you to be able to get past driving with your parents. But on our 16th birthday, we headed straight down to the Secretary of State's office and we got our license. And it was like emancipation, man. It was like freedom. We loved it. And so, but you remember the first time you actually drove? You watched your parents or whoever drive for years and you thought, man, this is gonna be really easy. And then the first time you got behind the wheel and applied the brakes, everybody had to peel themselves off the front windshield because you learned 
that there was more to it. That actually happened to me. I was driving with my son. We came to this parking lot here because it's a nice big parking lot. My youngest son was first learning to drive. So he gets in the driver's seat. I'm in the passenger seat and he starts to move. And I say, hang on, let me put on my seatbelt a minute. Even though we're in the parking lot, I know. So um, let me put my seatbelt on a minute. So he hits the brake and I slammed into the dashboard. I was hit for just a moment. Now, I got over it, but there's more to it than you thought. There's more to it to turn in corners than you thought. You had to go through driver's training. And once you had the experience, then you knew how to be able to handle stuff. It's the same thing in other ways of life. The simple person is not a dumb person. They are a naive person because they don't have experience. That's another kind of a person that scripture talks about. And then there's another one called the fool. Now, this is not foolish because they're uneducated or they, or they are ignorant. Fools are people who know that there are consequences for things that they do, but they don't care. A fool is like, I know that this may happen. I don't care if it happens. Yeah, there might be consequences, uh, but I'll deal with those consequences uh, when I get there. You know, that's what the fool says. I'll deal with consequences when I get to that point. Uh, and so you do not want to be a foolish person. You don't want to hang around a foolish person. Foolish people behave like that. When they get to that point, they're uninterested in the consequences. But that's what they say. The foolish person just, I don't care. Or the foolish person tries to convince themselves that if 98% of people have a negative experience in an area, they're going to be among the 2% that don't have the negative experience. That's what fools do. It will never happen to them. They will never be the person that has whatever it is happen to them. That's the foolish person. And then there's a fourth kind of person that he talked about, and that is the mocker or the scoffer. And that's the person that we really, really don't even want to have to, to contend with. It's tough enough to try to talk to a foolish person, and there's a time to do it and a time not to. But mockers are not even worth spending your time on. And foolish people can become mockers. If a foolish person uh, stays in his or her, her foolishness long enough, they can eventually get cynical and come to the place where they are mockers and scoffers. And you want to stay away from those people. So there's four basic big types of people that Proverbs talks about. There are more people that it kind of focuses on, but there's a lot that are said about these four areas. And the reason why I wanted to review these is because it relates a little bit to what we're going to talk about today. Because today we're going to talk about the issue of what scripture has to say about friendship. All right, so I'm going to do this here because you dared me. So I'm actually going to come down here. I'm going to go come to the youth. You better know the answer to this, dude. So we were talking the other day. Somebody said, well, what are you preaching on on Sunday? I said, I'm talking about friendship. And as soon as I said that, they said a particular line that's been said for years about friendship, all right? And probably a lot of you know this. So I'm going to give you this line, Trout. You got to know this line. This is really easy. If you don't know this line, I'm sure that Darby will give it to you. Ready? Show me your friends and I will show you. Thank you, Jesus. Would you give David Trout a hand there? You didn't know what I was going to say, did you? Boy, there we go. You thought he, I was setting you up. I'm glad you got that right or we're going to have to have a talk. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. The reason why I bring that up is because that's one of those lines. That, they've been saying that since I was a teenager. Show me your friends. Really? He just gave me the look like, wow, that's a long time. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. It's one of those signs that's been around forever and you just kind of forget about it uh, because, oh, everybody says that and you know, it's been around for years. When I was a kid, um, 
my grandma, if you've been around here long enough, you know that I had a wild grandma. We called her Grandma Dynamite. And we really did. All of my cousins, my siblings, we all called her Grandma Dynamite. And the reason why we called her Grandma Dynamite was because we could provoke her enough to get her to explode just like a stick of dynamite. And so it was mostly my cousins, not me, because I was too young, but I did do it a little bit. I'll confess, just a hair. But we used to try to just push and push and push to get her explode. And one of the things that she would do is she'd say, it's always something. So we'd get her ticked off and then she says, it's always something. But she said it with like disgust and just spite for us. It's always something. So then we would mock her. So something would happen and we'd just behind her back, it's always something, it's always something. And my grandma, she, she died in uh, 1989. And a few years after that, a bunch of us got together, me and my cousins, and we started laughing. There were other things we mocked too, but I'm not gonna get into that. And so uh, then I said, it's always something. And one of my cousins, we all stopped. And one of my cousins looked at me and she laughed and she says, it is always something. <laughs> grandma was right. I mean, we mocked her, but it's always something. It was one of those lines that she just said it for us. It was like, ah, it was hilarious. But there's actually a little bit of wisdom in it, just like that line right there. You hear it all the time, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Sometimes you got to apply it in overly zealous ways and whatnot, but there's a little bit of kernel of wisdom in there. And sometimes when it comes to the area of friendship, we read about it in Proverbs or we read about it in other places, but we don't really pay attention in a meaningful way. We don't really do anything about it. We just read about, because we always think that the people we read about are other people. I don't interact with foolish people. Other people do. I'm not hanging around simple people or letting them into my world. Other people are. And so what we want to do is we want to be paying attention. I want to challenge you today to think about your friendships. Think about, and this is a lifelong deal. Okay, this is not, when we talk about friendship, I don't know what that sound is, but I feel like I'm about to get transported somewhere. That's the Star Trek beam me up sound right there. Is it that bad, Corden? You're trying to get rid of me? So, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, here we go. So really, we do have to think, it's a lifelong deal. We got to think about our friendships because we tend to think only you guys need to think about friendships. Like when you're junior high or high school, only those people really need to worry about friendships because they're forming in their early years and they need to make sure they have good friends in place. But the reality is we have to deal with friendships and, and evaluating and paying attention to them all of our lives. Let me think about it. Uh, if you're married... Uh, you get, you may have your, his friends and her friends and his friends or her friends may not be for the two of you together. And they may be undermining your relationship or you may have friends together that you make, but those friends aren't good for your marriage relationship. They're not. And you gotta be thinking about that your, your entire life because there are different kinds of, kinds of friends that we have. I look at friends in like three different categories. One is the surface friend. There's no better way for me to put it. I couldn't figure out a different word, but a surface friend. Surface friend, it's not a bad person. It's a person who's just more on the surface of my life. We get along. Maybe we share interests. We can laugh together. Maybe we work together. Uh, they're not necessarily bad people necessarily, but they're just kind of surface friends, meaning their role in my life needs to be more on a surface level. They don't need to be having deep influence in my life. They're more like surface friends. I don't dislike them. I don't have any, anything against them, but they're more on that level in my life. Well, then there's another level of friends and, and that's a little bit different. This is called a false friend. And a false friend is a person 
who may be your friend and you may get along with them and you may laugh together and all the rest of that stuff. But when there's going to be consequences for something that happens, a false friend is gone. Or if the false friend stays, they're the one that tells you that the consequences are what's foolish, not what you did is foolish. That's a false friend. Or a false friend is somebody who takes you in a whole different direction than you really should be going and they end up bringing destruction in your life. That's a false friend. There are surface friends, there are false friends. And then there's true friends, which is what we're gonna focus on today. And I say true friend because scripture kind of uses that language. True friend meaning these people are the people that need to have influence in your life. These are the people that are worth listening to, worth really spending your most important time with. These are true friends. And like I said, it's a lifelong process of evaluating because sometimes you think someone's a friend, but they're really not a friend. And the challenge is, is we are built for relational connection. And because of that, sometimes we get so desperate to fill that relational need in our lives that we'll let anybody in to our life. We'll give people a place of influence in our life that have no business having influence in our life because we desperately want to fill that relational void. And we can't do that. We've got to be patient and wait for God to help us evaluate. And who should be the true friends that have influence in my life? And like I said, it's a lifelong deal. It could be, a, you know, like you're married. It could be that you're single. You still have to be evaluating your friendships. As a matter of fact, when you read the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he says that being single is every bit as good as being married. I say that because sometimes in the church, we all want to be matchmakers and think, well, if you're single, there must be you know, something wrong or whatever. If you're single, there could be something that you need to change, but maybe not. And one of the important things that we need to do if we're single is biblical friendship is really important when you're single. So you've got to be evaluating who is in my life, who gets influence in my world, because I'm married, so I can be with my friends, but there's another voice when I get home that could correct what I heard from my friends while I was gone. You know, Pastor Sam says that the Holy Spirit's voice sounds a lot like, like Pastor Brenda. The Holy Spirit sounds a little different in my house. But it's still a female voice. It's true, you know. But your friendships, they really do matter. You've got workplace friendships. Uh, you've got all kinds of things. It's a lifelong process. You know what else? is sometimes we've got friends for seasons. There are people in my life that they were great friends, they were true friends, but they were friends for a season. And then something changed. Maybe they moved or I moved or I moved to a different season in life. When I was in a younger season of life, I hung out with different people and different people had influence in my life. But when I moved into a different season, then other people came onto the scene and these other people, the older ones were still my friends, but the new people that came into my life, they were friends for this season now. And that's gonna happen all throughout your life. Doesn't matter how young or old you are, there are gonna be friends for a season and you're never gonna be able to stop evaluating who it is that has influence in your life. You're gonna do it all throughout your life. So it's important that we know and understand what does a true friend look like? What does a biblical friend really look like? And there's nothing wrong with surface friends. There's nothing wrong with having those people in your world. As a matter of fact, surface friendships really are where you as a believer get to influence other people. There's nothing wrong with those kind of friendships, but it's just the question of how much influence those people are exercising in your life. We can't confuse them with true friends and give them undeserved influence. Take them a place in our lives that they should never have. So we're gonna look at true friends as God defines it in scripture. 
because there are some key moments and situations that kind of reveal and key character traits that kind of reveal what true friends, what biblical true friends who should have influence in your life look like. And here's the first characteristic. True friends share your faith. Service, service friends may not share my faith. Um, they may not. False friends really might not share my faith, but a true friend that lines up with what God calls a true friend shares your faith. Proverbs 12, 26 says, the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. So choose your friends wisely. I look back on my own life and I think there are times when I was wise about that and times when I was not wise about that. It's better for me to have one quality friend than to have a whole bunch of people in my life that are taking me a direction I don't need to go, that have undeserved influence in my life that they should not have. You can have a lot of people in your life, but the greatest influencers should be followers of Christ. Those should be your greatest influencers. Don't be driven by desperation for friendship so much that you just let anybody come into your world and have influence in your life and speak into your life. Choose your friends wisely. And it doesn't matter what season you're in, choose your friends wisely. My mom moves out in Arizona and uh, she lives in a park. You have to be 55 or older uh, to live in that park. So I'm way too young to live in that park. Thank you, Jesus. I am, I could not live there legally. Uh, but so there's my mom and, uh, and she's out there. And so you've got people 55 all the way up to, to whatever age. And I go out there and my mom will give me updates on what's happening in her park. And I look at some of these people who are in stages of their life where they should be walking in wisdom. And these people are hanging out with all the wrong people connected in all the wrong ways. And it's like turned into, if I say Peyton Place, there's only a certain generation that's gonna know what I'm talking about. I gotta be careful of the words I use because I just had a slang word come to mind, but it would be the last time Pastor Sam would ever let me stand up here. So we're just gonna say, there's a lot of ill-advised activity going on where the people are out there because they've let the wrong people into their lives at a stage when you think they would be walking in wisdom and they're not. Choose your friends wisely. Psalm 119.63 says, I am a friend to anyone who fears you, anyone who obeys your commands. That's who should be given influence in your life. Those who fear God, those who obey his commands. So choose your friends wisely and reflect on the company you keep. Think about it. You will become like the people that you spend the most time with. You really do. You start to kind of like the things that they like. You start to dress kind of the way that they dress, listen to what they listen to, talk like they talk generally. You need to reflect on the company that you keep. You know, and when I say that, sometimes people say, well, well, aren't you acting like you're better than other people? I mean, didn't Jesus hang out with sinners? I mean, he, he was the friend of sinners and all that stuff. And, and, and then the line comes out this. If Jesus was walking the earth today, he would be, fill in the blank. He would be hanging out at a certain place. He would be dressing like whatever. I love when we do that. Usually what that means when somebody starts out and says, well, if Jesus were walking the earth today, he would be with, it's usually a precursor to the next part, which is something that I want to do. If Jesus were walking the earth today, he'd be doing what it is that I want to do. You probably don't know exactly what Jesus might be doing, but I can tell you this. 
when Jesus did interact with people and people who desperately needed him because he said he came to save those who are sick, not those who are well. He came to seek and save that which was lost. He did come for lost people. But whenever you watch the scriptures, Jesus is the one influencing, not the one being influenced. And whenever you read the scriptures, you also see that the crowds were following him. He wasn't following the crowds. They were always finding him. Now he always loved people. He always accepted people, but he never left them just like they were. I love John chapter eight, where the woman who was caught in adultery, I love that moment when Jesus shows up and here's this woman who's clearly guilty of something, but the people who are accusing her are equally as guilty in a different way. And Jesus calls them out and they all end up leaving, but then he turns to her and the one thing that he says is, go and sin no more. You need to change what it is you're doing. It was a great, loving, gracious moment, but Jesus was always the influencer, not the one being influenced. The challenge for us is sometimes we let people in our world under the guise of, I just want to love people like Jesus loved them. And there's a time and a way to do that. But sometimes we get people influence in our lives that don't need to have influence. And we're not the influencers, we're the influenced. If Jesus were here today, Jesus would be influenced and he is here today. He is here today by, re by way of his Holy Spirit but if he were walking physically the earth today, he would be loving people. He would be accepting people. But I tell you what, he would also be offending a lot of people because Jesus was an influencer, not just adopting what everybody else wanted him to say or do. Reflect on the company that you keep. First Corinthians 15, 33 says, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. You know, there are people in, in places today they never thought they would be because of the, they chose the wrong friends. You know, people who wound up in a hospital, people who lost a marriage, people who just their whole lives were changed and turned upside down because they chose the wrong friends. Reflect on the company you keep. Choose your friends wisely because a true friend is someone who's gonna share your faith. That's what a true friend is gonna be like. This is one of the saddest stories in the Bible. It's a terrible story. It's in 2 Samuel 13. And it's a guy named Amnon, he's the son of David. And what happened is Amnon ended up raping his own half-sister. Can you think of anything more depraved? But you know how he did it? You know how he got into it? He had this desire for his half-sister. And look, in the Old Testament, uh, things were a little bit different. It was a different culture, different time and so forth. And it wasn't necessarily uncommon for someone to marry a half-sister. Okay, that was Old Testament scriptures. Don't do that now. Okay, but we don't do that. Things have changed quite a bit. It's a different culture. It's a different time. And I'm not going to get into all that stuff. So it wasn't uncommon for something like that to happen. So Ammon has a desire for his half-sister, but what ends up happening is he connects with someone else. Here's what it says in first, or 2 Samuel 13, verse 3. It said, Amnon had a very crafty friend, his cousin, uh, Jonadab. So Amnon told him, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Okay. And how does this cousin of Amnon's respond? Well, Jonadab said, I'll tell you what to do. And this dude gives Amnon the plan for how he can trick and sexually assault his own half-sister. That is the company that Amnon kept. And that's the place that it took him. And it ended up destroying David's household. And Amnon ended up getting murdered because of what it is that he did. Now, that's an extreme case. But that's what happens when we allow the wrong people to have influence in our lives. You may not be doing what Amnon did, 
but you will change in some way when somebody has influence that should not have influence in your life. So choose your friends wisely. A true friend shares your faith. Here's the second thing. True friends strengthen your faith. A true friend points you to the right path when you're going the wrong way. They will tell you the thing that you should do. They'll tell you the truth about the most important things. Proverbs 27, six says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Man, you want the truth from someone. Surface friends may not tell you the truth. Surface friends may not tell you what it is that you need to know. False friends probably really won't tell you the truth because they're out for something else. But a true friend will tell you the truth. And even if it wounds you, it's a good kind of a wound as opposed to someone who's an enemy that pretends to be your friend. You know, when you go to the doctor, every year I got to go for my physical and I get my blood work done. I don't want my doctor lying to me about what's going on physically. You don't want somebody thinking, well, I don't want to ruin his day, so I'm not going to tell him that this is going on. You know, hey, by the way, it looks like he got about 15 minutes left, you know, so, or you want the truth on what it is that's going on. If you take your car to the, to the mechanic, you want to know what's really going on, not, you know what? Everything's going to be fine. If you hear that rattling noise, just turn the stereo up louder. Everything will be good. Tires may come off, you know, five, 10 miles down the road, but you should be okay for just a little bit. You want the truth of what's going on in those situations. And a true friend will tell you the truth. And sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it's difficult. But true friends will tell you the truth instead of telling you what you want to hear or telling you what they want to hear, what they want you to do. A true friend will, will guide you and point you along the right path. There's a great example of this in the book of Galatians, Apostle Paul. I want you to think about this. He's going to confront Peter. Peter and Paul, two of the biggest, greatest apostles that are listed in the New Testament. Peter's the guy, not only did he, did he deny Jesus, but he's the guy that stands up on the day of Pentecost and preaches an amazing sermon and 3,000 people come to Christ. 3,000 people turn in that moment. Peter's the guy who at one point, people were bringing their sick, hoping that his shadow would hit them and that they might get healed. Can you imagine having that kind of reputation? If my shadow hits you, that you might get healed? That's Peter. Well, Peter is in a position where now he's interacting with Gentiles and here's what's happening. When he's with the Gentiles, he's eating like them. He's doing all the stuff that they do. He's welcoming them because God's given him this great revelation. You can read about it in Acts chapter 10 that he ought to accept the Gentiles. So he's doing just what they do until the Jewish Christians from Jerusalem show up and then suddenly Peter leaves their table and goes to another table and acts like he's been doing everything the Jewish way the whole time. And Paul sees this and Paul confronts him to his face in front of people and says, Peter, how can you do this to these Gentiles? How can you be with them and act one way in front of them? But then when your Jewish friends come from Jerusalem, you turn your back on them and act a whole different way. He confronts them and says, Peter, this is not the way that we should be, we should be doing this. And the reason why that confrontation was so important is because the gospel itself was at stake. How we preach and learn and know the gospel was at stake in that moment. And Paul is saying, Peter, you've got to get it right. I'm going to correct you in this moment. You don't want to hear what it is I have to say. You're going to be embarrassed in front of other people the way I've got to say this, but I need to confront you about something because I really am a true friend and I really do love you. And I really am willing to tell you stuff that's going to keep you on the right path, the way that you need to go. That's the way a true friend will be to you. If somebody's telling you something that you don't want to hear, you might want to hit pause and listen to what it is that they have to say. 
that may be a true friend giving you some wisdom for your life, telling you to go in a way that you need to go. Might be something you don't wanna hear, but that's what a true friend does. A true friend points you to the right path. A true friend also will guide you through adversity, not just correct you when you need correcting, but they're gonna guide you through adversity, through the toughest of times. They confront you when you're wrong, but then they comfort you when you're hurting. Proverbs 17, 17 says it, a friend is always loyal and a brother is born to help in time of need. That's the kind of friends that we need. I don't need, I don't need fair weather friends. I don't need just that. You're year around just when it's great for me. Uh, but when it's not good for me, you're gone. I need friends who are with me in fair weather and in foul weather. When things are good and when things are bad. My wife and I have walked through a, a, a number of things in the last, uh, what, since 2016. She said three bouts with cancer and she's doing great, by the way, so everything is good. And we're grateful for that. Yes, indeed. But I tell you what, there's a little circle of friends that gather around my wife and those are the people that walk with her. Those are the people that send the texts and hey, let's go out to dinner or whatever. You need those people that are with you in the midst of adversity, not just when everything is going great. Proverbs 18, 24 says that there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, a friend who will cling to you, closer than a brother or sister will. That's the kind of friend that you need, not just when it's great or when things are not so great. That's when you need friends the most. And that's what a true friend does for you. They stick with you through stuff that's good, through stuff that's bad. They stick with you when you blow it, when you mess it up, when things are really ugly. Those people are the ones that stay with you through adversity. They'll walk into your life when it seems like the whole world is deserting you. Those are the people that are left standing. Those are the people that you wanna have. A true friend will stick with you in a crisis, not just when it's convenient for them. And they'll walk with you through pain. And those are, those are the people that mean the most to you. And when, when they're around and you're just going through it, whatever it may be, those are the people that mean the most to you. Those are the people whose voices you listen to and who have influence in your life. And I want you to think not just about what true friends look like for you, but what about you? Do these characteristics define you? Are you the type of person who is in somebody's world and you influence them and influence their faith and strengthen their faith? Are you the kind of person who's willing to correct in a way that's living and help guide people on the right path? Are you the kind of person that is there when everybody else goes away, when things are not so good? Are you the one that's there in their world? Because here's what I can tell you. I talked about surface friends and false friends and whatnot, but I can also tell you this. Sometimes there are people, and just because someone's in the church, sometimes there are people in church that they're friends, but just because they're in the church doesn't mean they have to have great influence in your life, okay? Just because they come to church every Sunday, I can tell you growing up that some of them, almost everybody in my school went to church of some kind. They may not have known God from a hole in the ground, but they went to church in some way. So I could always say for the most part, hey, I'm hanging out with so-and-so and, -so, and uh, they go to church too. Just because somebody's in church doesn't mean that they're necessarily a true friend. So in this room, I know we go to church, we're here at Grand Rapids first, are we these kind of people? Are these the people we look for in our lives, but are we these kind of people to other people as well? We've got to evaluate who we allow in our world and if we have such a, such a character that we can be allowed in someone else's world as a point of influence. All right, and then the greatest friend, who is the greatest friend of all? The Lord Jesus himself, he's the truest friend. And there's so much more we could say about friendship, 
But the two big qualities that I gave you are two of the most important things that kind of give you a broad brush of what does a true friend really look like? You want to see what a true friend looks like? You look at Jesus. He's the ultimate true friend. Jesus is the ultimate one, obviously, who shares your faith. He's the author of faith. But he's also the one who will correct you when you need to be corrected. He is also the one that will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is the ultimate true friend because he's with you in the middle of your pain. Pastor Sam has said it before. There's no other religion on the planet where the God of the universe comes down and gets into the middle of your pain. That's what Jesus chose to do. Hebrews 4.15 says, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. He is with us in the middle of our pain. And he's not just there in the middle of our pain, but he took our pain on the cross. I mean, that's the definition of a friend. Somebody will take something for you. I can remember uh, there was this kid when I was in high school. But if you looked up the word jerk, his picture was there in high def. That's him. I know his name. I'm not going to say it because somebody will say, that's my brother, that's my cousin, whatever. I'm not going to say it. But that dude, hmm, you know, and, uh, and I can remember, I'm just walking down the hallway and I didn't hardly ever talk to him, you know, because he was just, he was mean to everybody. I didn't really say much to him or whatever. And I hadn't even talked to this dude. And I think he actually was blaming me for something somebody else did. Isn't that great? So he's coming after me and wants to fight me in the middle of the hallway. I'm on my way to class. I'm really not interested in this. Got a couple other things to do, dude. You know, I want to keep rolling. And I'll tell you what, there's a true friend that came along and got between us because I was just trying to keep walking and said, if you want to get to him, you got to come through me first. As he looked down on the man whose name I'm not going to say. Uh, the moment ended right there because he knew where this fight was going to go. Now that's a great moment when someone stands up for you. But that person did not get on a cross and suffer crucifixion for me. That friend of mine could not deal with my sin and the pain in the, in the midst of my heart. Only Christ could do that. Romans 5 says this, and it's a little bit, little bit late, but I want to read it to you. God showed us his great love by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And doesn't it irritate you when someone sins against you? Doesn't it irritate you when you've been offended, they've done you wrong? The last thing I want to do is be nice to you when you've done something wrong to me. What I really want to do is tell you what I think of you and then just ignore you and move on my way because that's my flesh. But Jesus doesn't do that. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. There's a line that Jesus says when he's with his disciples, and I love it. I'm just going to quote this simple line. He says to them, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. That's what a true friend does. Jesus was a friend that even when he corrected you, you still stayed because you loved him. Even when Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are not, you're trying to get me off a mission. Peter doesn't walk away because he knew this is my true friend. And what do you think those, those same disciples thought when they see Jesus being crucified? They may have been far away from that cross, but they're thinking, man, 
this guy's getting on this cross for me. This guy's suffering for me. That's the definition of a true friend. And I can just imagine if I'm there in that moment and I see Jesus there and I happen to be one of those 12 guys that got to be closest to him. I look up and I see him and I'm thinking of those words. I call you friends because this is what a friend does for his friends. He will correct them. He will guide them, but he'll be with them. And ultimately he will lay down his life for them. For the, the scripture says it. The scripture says that there is no friend like the one who will lay down his life for his friends. You don't have a greater love than that. than someone who would lay down his life for his friends.